Welcome everyone to today's devotion. Uh, it's Tuesday of the Passion Week of Jesus, and we want to look at two passages. Um, one is in Mark, the other is in Matthew. And the main thing worth highlighting on Tuesday is Jesus' teaching at the Mount of Olives. This is oftentimes called the Olivet Discourse. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include this eschatological discourse. And by eschatology, it's a fancy term for study of the end times. So, um, so here's where we get all the end time stuff. Mo- uh, you know, most of it from Jesus this is right here in this section. Um, however, one of the major challenges, and I think we talked about this in our devotions uh, earlier when we looked at Mark. I believe it was earlier this year. Um, is is known exactly uh, when is Jesus talking about an immediate event and when is he talking about uh, later future events? So um, and so I, I I try not to you know um, say one is definitive for for the other because it is a real mystery. After all, consider the context. Verse one. This is Mark thirteen. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, "Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings." And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So the context has to has to regard the destruction of the temple. And it's hard to make that about the end times. Now later I think he is talking about the end times. Um, but the immediate context is the destruction of the temple. And we know when that happened, AD 70, when Rome came in and sacked Jerusalem. Um, they, they had had enough putting up with with uh, the Jews who were a real pest to, to Rome. Um, every governor they had, like Pilate, uh, really struggled with them. Uh, everyone else just went along with the Romans. The Jews just refused to. So Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. Uh, and I think Mark was probably the first gospel written, perhaps late 50s, or early 60s. So this is a prediction that was fulfilled. And so the challenge is, is what follows, how much of it is about the destruction of the temple, and and is there room to find uh, predictions about the ultimate end? We're looking at Mark basically because it's it's simplified, it's much shorter. Um, but Matthew and Luke, uh, it's it's more ambiguous trying to figure out uh, when when we're in uh, the temple when we're talking about about, about the end. Uh, but I just want to highlight a few things here. Verse three: As he sat on the Mount of Olives, this is why we call the Olivet Discourse opposite the temple. So so you can still go there now. Of course, you won't see the temple. You see the Dome of the Rock. Um, but you can see over Jerusalem. You, you They would see the, the temple. The sun would be shining really on it. be very bright and magnificent and glorious. Beautiful building. Not as glorious as Solomon's, but still fantastic. This is really Herod's temple. Um, it's the second temple Israel had. Um, you remember after Babylon? They returned from Babylon under Persian rule. Uh, under the leadership of Nehemiah and Ezra and uh, Haggai and Zechariah, uh, they built Zerubbabel's uh, temple. Well, Herod, uh, the so-called great, later came by and uh, revamped it as to where it was looking significantly more grander. It took decades to do that work. Uh, so they're looking over the temple. Peter and James, John and Andrew ask him privately, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. Again, the context is the temple. And so he gives a series of signs, which we almost always apply to the end. Uh, and they they might apply to the end. Uh, but the immediate context has to do with this temple. 
Uh, one worth highlighting, we've looked at all these before, so I don't want to go over them again. Verse 6, many will come in my name saying, I am he. I looked that up in the Greek. Uh, it is ego and me, uh, which is the language Jesus uses to describe himself. Um, it is also the language uh, that God used of himself um, before Moses in the burning bush. Remember that that specific language, ego, a me, as opposed to the simplified a me, I am, uh, signifies uh, divinity. And so these false messiahs will come claiming to be divine, but they will not be divine. Uh, and of course, we know uh, coming up uh, to the destruction of the temple, we, we saw all these. In fact, uh, um, one of them was the main leader behind the zealots and why Rome showed up and all that sort of stuff. Let's skip down to verse 11. And when they bring you to trial, deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand. What are you are to, what you are to say? But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. You need to see here that Jesus portrays a very dark picture of the future, um, at least of the temple destruction, but even of, of the end times. Um, but at the same time, he's encouraging believers not to be fearful. Why? Because you have the Spirit. You can persevere, and you will persevere. Um, so don't be anxious about any of this stuff. God will take care of all the details. You choose to be faithful. I want to encourage you word. Now, it's, it's surrounded by um, wars and violence and betrayal and injustice. Right? It's surrounded by all that. Right there in the middle, Jesus wants, wants the reader to see. Uh, that we should not be anxious. And if, we're, if we shouldn't be anxious before we're about to go on trial and be executed, uh, why are we anxious about elections, about uh, seasons, and about um, economies and legislations and family drama? Why, why are we anxious about any of this stuff? Then verse 14, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now here is a, a passage of significant debate. Um, remember the context is the temple. And so now he he's talking about the desolation of the temple. The abomination that causes desolation. Now, that is a prophecy made by Daniel. It was also fulfilled by the Greeks. So before the time of Jesus. However, Jesus seems to suggest uh, the ultimate fulfillment of Daniel is yet to come. Now, we could say there was an immediate fulfillment with the destruction of the temple, AD 70, but some will say there's a future desolation of the temple, um, particularly if you're a dispensationalist where um, you're waiting for the rebuilt temple and everything. So, you know, do with that whatever you want, whatever is your theological conclusion. I go back and forth on all of this. Uh, but what we really need to see is verse 24. Uh, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in heaven will be shaken. So what you have is, is an unraveling of the entire cosmos. And then w when they see the Son of Man coming in clouds of great power and glory, it's taken straight from Daniel, then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the earth, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. This is the coming of Christ. He is coming. He's gathering his elect. Um, and as we'll see in Matthew, he'll divide the sheep and the goats. Uh, just one other point to make from Mark. Go down to verse 32. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So I always feel like we have to bring this up that um, stop making predictions. Uh, virtually every major cult that's still around that survived 
um, started with by violating this single verse. And no one knows, um, but we must be ready and anxious for him to come. Come, Lord Jesus, quickly. Um, but then he, he goes on and said that your response should be to stay alert, stay awake, be ready. Right. Matthew, in, in chapter 25, we'll look at chapter 25 here in a second, but in the opening 30 verses, really, of chapter 25 of Matthew, uh, he provides a series of parables to illustrate this point. Uh, to be ready and alert, Christ's coming is imminent, and we, we wait for, for his return. Okay. Well, let's go to Matthew 25, and I want us to look at Jesus upon his throne. Now, you remember what, when we studied Matthew our main point was that Jesus is king, and here we see the king on a throne judging the nations. Um, so uh, you'll be familiar with it, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. That's essentially the same same language we read in Mark. Uh, but he comes in his glory. Uh, go on down, he says, He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Okay, so, so what we have is the righteous and the unrighteous. The sheep are the righteous. The goats are the unrighteous. And this imagery is found throughout the New Testament of uh, separating in, into two camps, right? Um, righteous and the unrighteous. And that's what Jesus does. And, and then he looks at the sheep. He starts with the sheep and says, uh, You are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, of course, say, Lord, when, when do we do these things? And will we say, uh, when you did it unto the least of these, uh, my brethren, you, you did it uh, un, unto me. Now, some debate regarding that, and, and the argument goes, particularly of a more liberal bent, that Jesus would judge us based of our deeds, not of our faith. And we're missing a major component here. These are sheep who do these things. These are not goats who do these things. So nature, our identity, uh, determines our actions here. So goats don't do these things. The wicked don't do these things. Sheep, the righteous, do these things. So what he's saying is, um, I can, I can. Your, your, your faith, your redemption is evident by your actions. That's what, what we need to see here. Uh, and and that's, uh, it's wrong whenever we, we, we turn to the liberal argument um, and say it's all about deeds. If you're a nice person, all that sort of stuff, that's not consistent with the gospel at all. The sheep are the ones who do these things because they're righteous. The goats don't because they're unrighteous. This is a matter of faith. This is a matter of, of beginning a new heart and a new identity by, by Jesus. He will then look at the goats, go through the same routine, except they didn't you know, feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, clothe the naked. They didn't do any of this. And again, um, it will conclude, verse 43, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let me add just one other point there, uh, because we, we overlook some of the details of this single verse. There is a growing movement uh, that believes in what's called annihilationism. That is that... Um, the wicked will just cease to exist. Um, and I think you'd be surprised by some of the people who, who hold to that. Perhaps most prominent in this regard is John Stott, the late John Stott. Very influential um, uh, pastor, writer, uh, commentator, all that. Uh, died, what, 10 years ago, something like that. But um, the word eternal is there. This is in 
eternal punishment equated to that of eternal life. This isn't the ceasing of existence. This is the continuation of, of existence. Well, that is Tuesday, Jesus teaching from the Olivet Discourse. Join us tomorrow. We'll briefly talk about Wednesday. See you then.